excitement that at last Nicholas is going to stop talking about how terrible false teachers are. Well, if that is the case, then you missed last week because I stopped the week before. However, I hope that Second Peter has been a book that is not only challenging, but also encouraging. You see, although Peter is writing to warn us against false teachers, he's also writing to encourage us. He's writing, and he started right at the beginning of the gospel, by saying to us that Jesus has done it all. That we have everything we need in Christ Jesus to live godly lives. That, that we have promises from him that we will share in the divine nature. Which is good. Which is wonderful. Which, which is the problem is we forget that and we live for this world. And, and that's why Peter's writing because these false teachers are encouraging the church to do exactly that. But, but Peter's big point is remember all that God has done and remember who you are. In a, uh, in a few billion years, 4.7 or 5 billion years, Brad, I'm going to mention your thing now, the sun is slated to expand. At that point, if we are still around, uh, there's two theories. Either the sun will expand and engulf the earth and it'll fly, uh, or else the earth will get pushed out of orbit and it won't actually be engulfed by the sun, but it'll be like living next door to the sun, in which case you're going to need SPF 400,000 sunscreen, and you're going to die anyway. Otherwise, um, for those of you that, that, that think that's, that's not a good way to go, you can also go out in the cold. The law of thermodynamics, uh, I think it's thermodynamics, says there is, ooh, you didn't think it was physics today, did you? Uh, something called conservation of energy. Uh, you, you cannot lose energy, you can just change its state. Unfortunately, our universe is also one of entropy, so, so increasing chaos and disorder and, and space. And so in a few billion, billion, trillion, million, I don't know, a long time from now, the universe is expanding and everything will get so far apart that it cannot interact with anything else and for all intents and purposes, it's dead. Go in peace. <laughs> The sun expanding to cover the earth is, is the, according to all scientific predictions, will probably happen soon. What does Peter say? Yes, he's going to tell us something really encouraging that's going to really lift us up. Let's, let's read what he says. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now go in peace. You see, the earth being wrapped up in the sun, nothing. The universe dying out gradually with a whimper, nothing. What Peter's talking about here is bigger than all of that. And by the way, um, I gave you billions of years and trillions and millions and I don't know how many years. The point is, says Peter, says God all the way back, there is going to come a time when this universe ends. And everyone can look at this universe and go, yes, there is. But you know what the amazing thing is? God says, and here's the, here's the second bit, you don't know when. Because the end of this universe, the end of not just 
uh, material world, but, but everything is going to be when God says it. When God says it. Exactly how he's going to do it, I don't know. But, but the fact is, if we're sitting here going, the universe will end at this and this date, God says, no, I get to decide that. You know, if, if our only hope in life is that everything is going to end, then we should be eating. We should be laughing like they are laughing in Sunday school. We should be eating, drinking, and being merry. Because for all we know, tomorrow we die. All five billion years' time, we die. But how, how can we believe that all this that is, is by pure blind chance? Creation hints with every moment at the existence of God. This is what Romans 1 says. And at the end, the end, says God, is not due to the laws of nature. It's due to an encounter with God. The laws of nature are God's laws, but the end doesn't come as a result of a clockwork that runs out. The end comes because God intervenes. And Peter's been saying this because the false teachers back in the church then were saying, well, God's not going to intervene. If he was, he would have. And Peter says, well, check your history. He has in the past, and he's promised he's going to. I'm going to go with God's track record. Peter's been arguing throughout this book that we can be sure that Jesus is returning as both rescuer and judge. And on that day when Jesus comes back, the day that, uh, that we've been singing about, this current creation will be destroyed and at that moment all that isn't holy all that isn't perfect will be undone Hebrews speaks about I've mentioned this about it being shaken 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 and all that is unshakable will remain and all that can be shaken will be gone will be destroyed because of sin this universe is destined for destruction you know if, uh, recently uh, started reading through Leviticus. And there's that bit in Leviticus where they speak about mold in the house. There's a whole chapter on mold in the house. And it's really good stuff. And think, first of all, there's a chapter on mold and items of clothing and stuff like that. And then it's mold in your house. And if there's a mold, then you have to come and bring it and then seal the house up. And the priest has a look. And then after seven days, it goes back. And has it spread? No. Okay, that's fine. But if it's spread, then uh, if it hasn't spread, then you have to cut out that brick. But if it has spread, or if it comes back, then you knock down the whole house, take the bricks and throw them somewhere in the rubbish heap outside. And really, as I was writing the sermon, that clicked to me what's actually going on there. Because it's just a random thing about mold. Yes, mold's not healthy to live in. I know that. But, but sin is like mold. And it's growing on this universe in which God has created. And it cannot just be eradicated without eradicating everything. Everything that is tainted by sin, which is everything, must be undone. Justice demands that sin be punished. 
if God is king, then God cannot brook any opposition to him as king. That is what justice demands. Now, go in peace. Fortunately, says Peter, the destruction of everything isn't all that's going to be happening on the day when Jesus returns. That's just the groundwork. God is going to be making a new heavens and earth, which is going to be the home of righteousness. And this is not just something that Peter has thought up. This is something that God has been promising for, for, forever. This is Isaiah refers to the new heavens that God is going to be making. Romans chapter 8 speaks of all creation groaning in anticipation of the sons of God and the daughters of God being revealed, but, but the sons, the children of God being revealed, which is going to be happening on that day. Sometimes, uh, as here in Peter, the Bible speaks about this day as the destruction of this world and the replacement of it with something new and glorious and perfect. Other times, such as in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus speaks of, of that day being a time of renewal when this world is renewed and made new. Sometimes in chapter 8 uh, of Romans, Paul seems to speak of it as, as a transformation, so this world is transformed into the new world. And then in Revelation chapter 21, just to make it really easy and definitive, uh, in the first verse, it speaks about... Uh, um, Sorry, I forget which verse. It's verse 1 and 5, but one of those verses speaks about this earth transforming into the new creation. And then a few verses later, it speaks about this earth being replaced by a new earth. And when I say earth, I mean everything. Universe. What is going to happen? Is this world, world earth, universe, is this place going to be destroyed completely or is it going to be renewed? Is it going to be transformed or is it going to be eradicated and a new one created? Does anyone know? You see, the problem is, we are dealing here with something that is unique and supernatural and above us. And quite frankly, what God is going to do, I don't know. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But he'll be there. He'll be like the sun because he'll shine. But you see what we're doing there, even as we say it, we have to say, he'll be like the sun. Because my head's too small. God's God's God. We don't understand this. But, but what we do understand from Peter is that the destruction of this universe, the ending of this world, however that works, doesn't mean the end of everything. This world is dominated by sin, and as a result, it is heading towards corruption. And remember, uh, Peter said way back in chapter 1 that in Christ Jesus, we have all that we need to escape the corruption of the world. We are in him escaping the corruption of the world. This world is heading towards corruption and decay and destruction. Logically, if something is corrupt, it cannot exist in a universe that is the home of righteousness, which is perfection, which is complete, 100% perfect. So what is corrupt cannot survive into the new creation. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're doing physics and we're doing maths. Uh, well, logic. 
however, says Peter, this new creation that Jesus is going to be making on that day is going to be the home of righteousness. Logically, if it is the home of righteousness, then what is righteous can survive in it. Does that make sense? Logically? So this world is going to be destroyed and all that is tainted by sin has to be destroyed because it cannot survive. But all that is righteous survives. How that works, I don't know. I don't even know how it's going to survive. In what mode. Uh, Because some things are going to be there. The wealth of the nations are going to be brought into the new creation. Problem is, all that is not righteous cannot survive. No way, Jose. Go in peace. All that is, all that has just a sliver of sin attached cannot survive. Which is the gospel. That Jesus died to destroy our sin. That he was perfect. That he came from eternity. That if we trust him, that God looks at us in him and sees us as righteous. And one day when he returns, what we are in Christ will be remade and we will be undone. And destroyed and made new. Or transformed and made new. Or renewed and made I don't know how it's going to work, but, but that's the promise, is that anything that is not righteous that cannot survive, it is destroyed. It is shaken. But Jesus is righteous, and if we are in him, sin is destroyed. It's like bleach. I hate bleach. But that's what Jesus is like for us. He's, he's like bleach in our lives. So, what is Peter on about here? He says here, dear friends, since ev- oh, verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy, and, and by the way, he's spent the last while telling us, God's got a track record, trust him, he is going to come back. Uh, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth and he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. You know, if my heart is set on this world then the idea of Jesus coming and destroying it is just plain horrible. And there have been times in my life where I have thought, Jesus, don't come yet. I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever thought that. C.S. Lewis, uh, in I think it's Screwtape Letters, has got a saying that we, we think we are just finding our place in the world. Don't, don't come yet, I'm just finding my place here. But really, it is finding its place in us. 
There's a lot of good in this world, but the Bible says it pales into nothing compared to being with God forever in the home of righteousness, a world, a universe, unmarred by sin, us unmarred by sin. This world is fantastic, but sin ruins everything. Whether we see it in the short term or the long term, sin ruins everything. And so Peter says, live for what will last. Look forward to the day of return when Jesus comes. We should be wanting better. We shouldn't be settling for this world. We should be enjoying God's gifts, but we should be wanting better. It's like, it's like looking forward to the day when your new car arrives at the dealer and you get to trade in the old. Maybe they've led you a test car to drive around in, but that day when you finally get to get rid of your old, beat-up, broken car and get the brand new one from the dealer, isn't that going to be amazing? And that, that's the same thing here. We will be transformed. We will be completely like Jesus. We will be perfect. We will be the way God sees us now. And isn't that a good thing that Peter says to us, guys, you will be the way God sees you now. Why don't you live that out now already? Live who God sees you. Choose to act in the way that is in line with the character of Jesus. That's chapter 1, verses 5 onwards. This creation isn't going to last, so let's live now in anticipation of our true home. Let's let all of my, my life, my attitudes, my choices, my actions, my desires be in line with who God is. Because if our heart is there, we can still enjoy this world and it's wonderful, but, but we can enjoy it in the context that this is entree at best. And so you should stop caring about this world. It's going to burn. And so you should stop caring about the nature and the environment. Because, for goodness sake, go and buy a V8 car. It's faster and it burns pollution better. And so the end will come sooner. Come on. You know, it's... We're going, oh, he's making a joke. I know what he's doing. You know how this, this is not so random and weird because people have taught exactly this. Don't, don't be bothered so much because, you know what, the world's going to end anyway. Well, why fix something that's going to be scrapped? Why fix what's not going to last? If you live in a house, knowing that in 10 years' time they're going to bulldoze it and build a, a new house, would you spend those 10 years going, ah, oh, I can't be bothered. Broke the window, I'm not going to replace it because in 10 years' time it's going to be replaced. Would you? Of course not. But even more than that, says Peter, Live today on the basis of tomorrow. And remember this, that the Bible is clear, Jesus was clear that God loves this world. At Super Club, our theme 
verse for this week is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shouldn't die, but, but can live forever. God loves this world, and he loves the people in this world very much. And part of living holy, godly lives now is enacting what will be even in small part today. I mean, if you think about what Jesus did, if Jesus' sole job was to say, right, there's a rescue, but this place is getting destroyed, all on board, last chance, get... That's not what Jesus did, is it? He did say, yes, if you want to be rescued, if you want to be saved, come to me. But he also went around going, I'm going to heal the sick, I'm going to set the... Uh, the, the, the prisoners free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at these people who are enslaved by sin and demons and I'm going to set them free. You see, what Jesus was doing is, is, is saying to people, the kingdom of God is near. It's just around the corner. And look, this is the effect of the kingdom. This is what it will be like. You know what? People didn't just come to Jesus because he was a good teacher. They came to him because they saw that, that there was, there was an, a, a power there and that there was an offer of something that is beyond this world and better. And, and it, it's just the, the, the messiness of this world. Jesus comes and says, it's not going to be this way. And he doesn't just say it, he lives it. And the power of that kingdom comes into the present in Jesus. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, live for that day. If we are waiting for that day, let us live it out now. And yes, that involves inviting people to repent, to turn to God and be saved, to be part of it. Jesus did that as well. But, but if all that Jesus did was go around going, oh, be saved, how can you be saved, how can you be saved? But it might be true, but, but how much more powerful if he goes around going, come and be saved. And by the way, uh, the man on the map did the super this week, he said, come and be saved. Because in the kingdom of God, in this new creation, there will be no sickness and there will be no sorrow. And I think perhaps what Peter says here when he says, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found, living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. He says in verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. We don't get to set the agenda, but perhaps how we live, how we teach, how we pray. Jesus said, pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Maybe all of this is part of hurrying it along. Maybe as we live out of who we are, we're showing people that this world doesn't have to be this way. Hope is much stronger when it's not just words, isn't it? I find it my, myself, I find it encouraging when I see people who live hope and don't just speak it. Which is what Jesus did. Of course, Jesus did it really well because he lived hope even after he died. Which is what gives us hope. So no, don't stop caring about this world. Care about it more because, because God loves it. He's destroying it because of sin, because of justice, but God loves it. And when Jesus returns, 
and nothing is hidden from him. Uh, it says in verse 10, everything on it will be found to deserve judgment or everything will be laid bare before him. When Jesus returns, we'll find that this life matters. Even as Christians, we will uh, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that appearing before the judgment seat is not about are you saved or not. Because if you trust Jesus, scumbag though you are, you are saved. This is about bringing our lives before God. Jesus is the standard by which we will be judged. He is perfectly righteous. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 has that, that thing about how we will be judged uh, for how we live. And on that day, the, the value or otherwise of our work will be shown. And yes, if our work is pathetic, if we, if we just ignore the fact that we're going to live, uh, but we trust Jesus, we will be saved. But we will be saved as one escaping through the flames, says Paul. John says, uh, basically, let us live for what will last. He says this, so that when he appears, 1 John 2, 28, we may be confident and unashamed at him before his coming. Now again, this is not about are, are you saved or not. This is about when Jesus comes, are you going to be going, you know, I wish, Jesus, that I had lived knowing that this was what it was going to be. I settled, Jesus. And Jesus says, I love you. Welcome home. But how much more wonderful will it not be if we're standing there before Jesus and he says, tell me about life. And we say, Jesus, I, I didn't do it perfectly, but, but I was captivated by what I see just there. And, and I, I tried to live that out. I didn't manage, but, but, but I want this so much. That's what I lived. And Jesus will go, you know what? I saw it. Well done, good and faithful sir. Welcome home to you as well. You know, both, both times you get in, but isn't the second one infinitely better? The false teacher's hope was earthbound, and so there uh, they just embraced immorality. Because if this world and this universe is all we get, well, who cares? But 1 John 3 verse 23 says that everyone who has this hope in him, uh, which is this hope of being like him, uh, for we shall see him as he is, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus is pure. God is pure. And so as Peter says, let's make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. That's a different translation there, but, but that's the idea there, being spotless and blameless and at peace. Let's live out what will last, not what is scheduled for destruction. And we'll never achieve this in this life. But it's a goal we strive for. We are prone to stumble and sin, but in Christ we are perfect and we strive towards who he is. Let us keep pushing forward towards the prize which is already ours in Christ, but which is being with Jesus, which is real living. And Peter's covered this. Read again if you get home, when you get home, hopefully, today, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 onwards. Adding to our faith the character of Jesus. 
We are righteous in Christ Jesus by the gift of God through faith in Jesus. So let us live that. How are you guys going? Okay. You know, it's easy to believe all the right things about the end of the universe, about Jesus coming back. And to not... Well, to live totally unaffected by that. And that's why we need to encourage each other while it is today. We need to read and remember all that God has done and all that he will do. We need to stoke the flames of our hope. We need to choose at every moment to live the theory out. C.S. Lewis has got a quote again in the Screwtape Letters. Anyone guess what I've been reading recently? Uh, he's got a great thing there. He says, if God, if Jesus were to stand face to face in front of us and say, Val, would you mind going and sitting over there with, with Claude, who's really struggling uh, for the whole day, just nurse him and look after him. And Val would go, yes, Jesus, you're asking me? Of course I'm going to go and do that. And Screwtape writes in the Screwtape Letters, great book, He says, what we don't realize is that that's exactly what Jesus is doing right now. He's saying, don't you want to live out of who I say you are? It doesn't affect our relationship. You're saved. You're at peace with me. But don't you want to live that out? And verse 14, living in expectation of this shouldn't produce fear. Oh no, Jesus is going to come back and and, I'm not good enough. I'm not... I, I, I sin so much, uh, what am I going to do? No, no, says Peter, live for that moment, not because it induces fear, but because it should be inducing peace. In other words, remind each other and encourage each other that we have been justified by faith in Jesus. Because if we are those who trust in Jesus, and John has a deal to say about this in his in his first letter, uh, if we trust in Jesus, then on that day when everything ex- is exposed, nothing that is exposed can damage us at all. Now, we've all got sins that you don't want the person next to you to find out, do you? So today I'm going to start telling you about your sins. So Myra's sin is and we're afraid that one day it's all going to come out and people are going to notice and it's going to be terrible and maybe God's going to find out that's the point he already knows but we need to be reminding ourselves that he already knows that there is grace that there is mercy that nothing on that day can damage us Because our peace with God, the objective peace with God, has already been secured so we don't have to be afraid. And says Peter then, so let us do our very best to live at peace with God. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. Not the objective peace of we are at peace, but, but the subjective peace. Going, God, I know, I know we're, we're right with each other, but I'm choosing to live that out. What is true, I'm, I'm living. If our peace is secured, we can see this life in perspective. God has it at hand. 
And we don't always enjoy the closeness of the fellowship that Jesus' death has made available for us. Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within. But we have been cleansed. Jesus forgave us and he keeps washing our feet. Have a read when you get home. I hope you're taking notes of these verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, also John chapter 13. As Jesus washes his disciples' feet and says to Peter, Peter, you're clean. If you've had a bath, all you need is your feet being washed. Jesus washes our feet. Let's see about finishing up. Sorry, this message has gone a little bit longer. I've been ad-libbing a lot. Unlike false teachers, we shouldn't think that we can take advantage of God's patience. But we should realize that we can take advantage of God's grace. The day of the Lord is coming. And the false teachers use this delay in its coming to justify believing that God doesn't care about sin. And they, and they, they even twisted the scriptures, including Paul, and they twisted it to, to say, to excuse their living. And this, is, this has always been the tactic of Satan. Right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say this and this and this? No, God meant this. And, and then in uh, the desert, when Jesus was being tempted, how, how did Satan try and tempt him? No, he used a few different techniques, but one of them was he quoted scripture at Jesus. Well, there's a great way to tempt someone. Quote the Bible at them. Twisting it. Paul and Peter agree that we should be living in expectation of Jesus. And it's possible to take the wonderful gospel truths of freedom and everything is permitted and twisted out of context and not read the rest that says, live for Christ, you are free for Christ and everything is permitted. Yes, but not everything is beneficial or helpful. Let us take advantage of God's grace. Taking the chance now to be saved, to turn to God, to find in Him the best there is. Because when Jesus comes, there is a finality about that. Hebrews 9.27, everyone is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There's no second chances. Now, says Peter, is the time to decide. Take advantage of God's grace and patience. Don't take advantage of it to sin. Take advantage of it to be saved. And keep our eyes fixed on Him. The return of Jesus will be mocked. And says Peter there in verse 17 and 18, Be on our guard so that we don't fall from our secure position, so that we can spot lawlessness and error for what it is and not be enticed by it, because it can be enticing. And, and, and we've said this several times over the course of these last few weeks, error isn't the cause, doctrinal theological error isn't the cause of lawlessness, it is the justification of it. And so people twist scriptures because they want to do what they want to do. They don't want to do what God says. They want to do this and they, they, and they twist it and they go, well, God doesn't really mind or God doesn't really care or God isn't really there and so I can do what I want. And, 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 and Peter writes to us and he says, no, no. Be on your guard. Don't lose your own secure footing. 
Rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We all have an inbuilt tendency to push Jesus to the back of our minds. To quote C.S. Lewis for the last time, hopefully today, he speaks about how uh, we can concentrate so hard on what we're doing, but sit down to read your Bible or sit down to pray, and it's amazing how many things you remember that you should have done. Isn't that true? Anyone, that's not the case? We all have this inbuilt tendency to push Jesus to the back of our minds. That's sin. That's our brokenness. That's because really we don't want God to be in charge. Except that we do, because we trust Him. And if that's complicated, welcome to reality. This side of the day. Peter's solution is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Changing, developing, growing in strength, showing his energy, advancing, maturing. By the way, how do you grow? You pray, you read the Bible, but... Val popped around to visit Taryn the other day and she bought some lovely roses. I think those roses should grow. So I'm just going to say, roses grow. And, and maybe if they try really hard, they'll grow. Now, how does it grow? Well, not ideal because you can grow roses by putting them in water, but let's ignore that bit for now. A plant grows by being connected to roots. A rose without roots is never going to grow. And so Peter says right at the end here, be on your guard and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. In other words, be connected to Jesus. Make the deliberate, constant, frequent effort to bring him to the forefront of your mind. Remember, you're saved. This isn't about being saved. This is about growing and not falling. You know, just because you've been a Christian your whole life and you've been to Sunday school and you know the story of Balaam back to front doesn't mean that we can rest on, on our decades of Sunday school and sermons past and quiet times. Because every day and every moment is a temptation to settle for less than the best. It's a temptation to settle for this world. Um, a theologian called Green says Christianity is like re- uh, riding a bike. You keep still, you fall off. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Both knowledge of him as a person, but knowledge of him as well. As we grow in that knowledge, we'll grow more and more aware of sin and of how very much God loves us. And of Jesus' saving power and promises. And the more we know Christ, the more we will look at him and go, Jesus, be gracious to me. Thank you for your grace. And the more we know about Christ, the more varied will be the grace that we invoke. We will say, Jesus, I know this about you and I know this about me. May your grace come. It has, but, but let's ask him. This life is important, but of paramount importance is being ready for Jesus. Peter, and let me finish with this because our time is well and truly up. Peter had that horrible experience of saying as he sat around the fire in the courtyard as Jesus was being tried, 
He said, I don't know him. I don't know him. Curse him, I don't know him. Or curse me, I don't know him. Translation's funny there. Turns out he realizes at the end of the day what really matters is being able to say, Praise him, I do know him. I know him. I don't follow him well. I need to remind myself every day to grow in grace. By the way, if you're perfect, you don't need grace. So let me know how that goes on for you. I know him and I know his grace. I know that in him I am covered. And I'm getting to know him more and more and I can't wait for the day when I see him face to face. And what is grace now will be transformed into reality in my life. And I will get to know him then in a way that I cannot even begin to imagine now. And Peter started his letter with grace. He said there in chapter 1 verse 2, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. What do you think the main point that Peter wants us to remember is? Well, in the body it's remember. But his main point is grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That is how you live in this world. That is how you keep your eyes on Jesus. Realize how much you need him. Realize how much he's done for you. And all glory to Jesus now and forever. And that literally Peter writes there, and all glory to Jesus now and unto the day of eternity. Because he is good. Don't settle for less. Rely on his grace. May we know him better. May we realize our need of him more. And may we find peace more as we trust his grace more. May we live for the day of his return. May we not be content until then. Amen.